Welcome to your home for all things trending in sports. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. From golf to NASCAR and everything in between, it's time for the Ben and Ben Show live on Com Radio. Chase Elliott comes out of turn number seven. The crowd roars. They're going to see for the first time Chase Elliott win in the Monster Energy Cup Series. Now for your co-hosts, Ben Jenkins and Ben Furry. Facebook. We are live in the Innovation Park Studios. Thanks for dealing with us. There's some technical difficulties before we came on air here. Got in here a little late. Um, but, yeah, we're back. Uh, after a week off last week, we're back out here. Hopefully, we can get in a groove of things now with the show every week. Yeah. Um, but we're just two great tech guys. Figured out actually, other people figured it out, and then we got in here. And we're late. But anyway, Ben, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to good to be back. A, a week and seven minutes late, but um, back nonetheless. I'm sure you can hear in my voice part of the reason why the Ben and Ben show was off the air last week. But hey. Um, Let's make up for lost time. We got a good show planned this afternoon, this evening. I'm excited to be in the studio as always. So, uh, just just happy to hopefully get back on a schedule and get rolling here through the semester. Which it's hard to believe. I uh, woke up this morning in week number five. So, not sure what that means really, but five weeks into the semester already feels like we just moved in yesterday. Yeah, it's almost exam season already. They're starting I, to come up on my uh, syllabus. I it's had my cool. my exam week was last week. Really? Had, had three last week, one the week before. So um, nice to finally get. I got one left sometime coming up. I don't know when, but it's got to be coming soon. But other than that, the first exam block for me over, um, which means this week right now is a pretty pretty good week for me. And it wasn't just Ben's sickness last week. I was also busy last Monday. The Penguins and Sabres played an NHL preseason game here. And I went off and covered that, um, which is a really cool experience. I never covered a, I didn't realize it until after it, I never covered a professional sporting event before. And it went well? Oh, it went really well. It was actually a good time. I mean, it's a preseason game, so like preseason hockey is like every other sport. It doesn't really matter. None of the stars really showed up. Um, the Sabres brought a couple big-name guys. But it was just a cool experience in general. Um, Pagula is really, really cool. I love that place. Yeah. Every time there's some kind of event, game, whatever, it is always a great atmosphere in there. That they almost were at capacity for a preseason game between the Penguins and Sabers. They really need to do redo Beaver Stadium so that they can do a Winter Classic in it, because they would get upwards of a hundred thousand people at a Winter Classic. I think. Yeah, that would be so so cool, and and I know that that's um, in the future really far down the pipe, um, and I think every year it's going to get pushed back even farther. But um, certainly is something that I think you're right. It would be an incredible turnout. Um, it would rival game days here in state college definitely so yeah and one of the things i wrote about was just how them building that arena just completely changed hockey in state college and how it just brought about this whole culture here because you look at it, this division one there, there was always a club team around but as soon as you get that arena that world-class arena which is something you don't get everywhere that does not happen that's what's holding back a lot of college hockey programs from that club division one level but as soon as that happened the town really embraced it and 
that plays every time there's a game, whether it's the Penguins-Sabres preseason game where most of the fans probably don't know who most of the players are that are there. I mean, the Penguins brought, like, players that are still playing junior hockey out for that game, but there were still 5,000 people there. It was full. It was loud. There was Let's Go Pens chance, and then there was Let's Go Sabres chance, which got boos from the Pens fans. And But it, it was just a cool atmosphere, and hockey in State College is something that's really, really cool, and I'm glad that that's a sport that's going to be around to stay here in State College. Now, did, was it a majority Pens uh, crowd? Or? Yes, big majority Pens crowd. There were some Sabres jerseys throughout. Uh, I think part of that is because of everything that's happened in State College has a little pocket of Sabre fans because of Terry Pagula. Yeah, of course. But I think the majority of the people were there were just anti-Pens, Flyers fans. Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it always must be interesting, and um, that's something that, that I've wondered quite a bit is how the Pagula family necessarily feels about that. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's expected, and I'm sure it doesn't really bother them at all, but um, the fact that you know they bring Buffalo here, well, it was every year, and again this year, I know they took last year off, but um, they bring Buffalo, the team that they own, in here to an arena that they basically built themselves, yeah. um, and then everybody shows up in Penguins jerseys. Uh-huh. So um, it's it's fun. I'm sure they don't mind it that much, but it's just neat to uh, to think about. So, um, yeah, good stuff happening here in Penn State with, with professional hockey. Um, it's almost time for the Nittany Lions to take the ice. It's mm-hmm. hard to believe, but um, that's that's in the near future, definitely. Yeah, I can't believe it's already October when you mentioned that. That is absolutely nuts. But anyway, let's see. What else do we have to get here before we get it? Um, check us out, podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of, all of them. Um, it just puts them up on all of them. We're on there. So if you can't catch us live, there'll be a version of the show on there. Exactly well, the same. <laughs> I don't know well, about this one. Maybe but. not today. We're at, there's some more technical difficulties going on. We'll figure something out. Uh, We'll get it figured out. But, but And we'll definitely be on Facebook. You know, if you guys are watching us on there right now, if you're listening on the Radio FX app, um, if we can't get that podcast up this week for whatever reason due to the technical issues, you've always got the live feed on Facebook that will not go away. That will always be there for you guys to uh, go back, click on, look at our pretty faces while you're listening to us talk, uh, kind of the best of both worlds. So, yeah, we'll always be up on there. Um, so if we can't get it up on, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, whatever, just go ahead and head over to the Facebook page. While you're there, give us a like, um, and, and yeah, we can we can definitely be on there. You know, this will always be up there. So, Yeah, Ben, I wouldn't sell the people on our faces. It's an it's an added benefit if, if they want it. I mean, it's there. We we can't cover it up. It's just part of it. So Yeah, that was, that was a joke I had with, uh, down at the Collegian the other day because after the Buffalo game, I wrote an opinion piece, and they decided to put it on the front page. And every time you write an opinion piece, they put your mug like on it. So my mug yeah. was floating around on the front page, and that could not have helped sales with my <laughs> picture on the front page of the paper. But anyway, I think that's all we have going on here. Actually, anything new in your life, Ben? Um, not really. Um, saw Jason Aldean this weekend. That was a good time, good show. Um, love going to concerts, cool, cool things to do. And um, went home this weekend also. Had a really busy weekend, home Friday night, back here Saturday afternoon, um, but saw some family, had a nice family gathering there on, fr- or on Saturday morning. So um, definitely a good weekend for me. Um, I know you've got a pretty exciting weekend coming up here in the future. So Yeah, this weekend I just embraced the bye week of Penn State football and had a weekend where I just sat and watched college football around the country, and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, so big love for the bye week this week. Came at a great time, just in between conference and non-conference play. Just gave a week here at the end of the month just to resettle and get ready for the Big Ten play and the rest of the college football season. That's a perfect segue 
into our next segment here where we are going to talk about college football and specifically Penn State. Since we weren't on air last week, we have yet to discuss Pitt. Yeah. And Penn State's win, well, very ugly win, very close win, at points should not have won, win against Pitt. Yeah, it was um, pretty much everything you just described and more. Uh, that was a game that I think Penn State, I don't even think Penn State should have lost. Um, and one of my favorite things to say is Penn State didn't win that game, Pitt lost. Yes. Um, and so that's something that I've probably said on the show a million times before. I say it all the time, Army, when they played Michigan, Michigan didn't win that game, Army lost it. Um, and Penn State did the exact same thing. They did not win that game. Pitt blew the opportunity. I know we're going to talk about Pitt more because of what they did this Saturday. Um, and these conversations, I think, will probably tie in quite nicely, especially because of the decision that Pat Narduzzi made against Penn State to opt for that field goal try. Um, and then now hindsight is always twenty twenty, of course. Um, but looking at what happened this Saturday in the play that they pulled out, knowing that they had that in their back pocket against Penn yeah, State. Could you imagine if they pulled that out here at Beaver Stadium? But I, I, don't, I don't understand. Um, unless they actually did not have that play, and this week they spent so much time focusing on, wow, we screwed up against Penn State, we need to come up with... They're just practicing goal line situations. Yeah, just, just two-yard goal line situations, and they came up with that play. Um, because if you have that play last week against Penn State, 100th meeting, final meeting, um, you've got an opportunity to win the game there late, and you keep that you keep that in your back pocket, you don't use it in that situation, why? Like, that is the best situation to use that. Um, but no, from a Penn State perspective, it was just bad. Yeah. It was just bad. Um, offense didn't look good. Sean Clifford looked, um, like, almost jumpy. He couldn't get his feet set. He couldn't throw accurately. Um, I think part of that is coaching decisions. Um, I don't think Ricky Ronnie really put him in the situations that he could thrive in. I had a really big issue with that especially last week, and if this show would have been last week, I would have been screaming my head off. Um, because my thought process is this. If you have a quarterback making his third start in a rivalry game, and in the first drive he gets absolutely killed on a blitz, like killed. <laughs> yes, like so Sean, he, he probably was so sore Sunday morning when he woke up because he got just hammered. Um, to have that happen to your quarterback that early in the game and then continue with these long five-step drops, wide receivers running 25-yard routes, um, and not expecting him to keep getting hit like that, that is kind of a problem to me, especially when Sean is so accurate on the short-range passes. Um, he's got something to work on with the long-range stuff. We saw that during the pit game. Um, that game could have easily been a three-touchdown game if he hits KJ and a couple of those other guys. But yeah. um, you're setting him up to fail. That's what it is right now. He's not ready, and he's about to go onto the road on a Friday night in a you know, an environment that's going to be the most hostile environment he's ever played in, without a doubt. Um, are you going to set him up for failure again? Because during that whole pit game, all they did was set him up for failure. And I I wasn't going to pull it out on the show, but I'll mention it. I was sitting up there in the press box, and I was just getting Christian Hackenberg flashback oh. during that pit game. I, I don't want to bring up the name. Oh. But they both wear 14. But no, Clifford's a lot more mobile than Hackenberg was, but that's what it was like watching that pit game where Penn State's offensive line, Pitt consistently brought, every time Pitt brought one blitzer, there was a hurry or some pressure, but when they brought two, there was a hit almost every single mm -hmm. time, and they brought two a lot. And sometimes it was a safety, sometimes it was a corner, and then a linebacker was in there, sometimes it was two linebackers. Pitt just rotationally blitzed two players consistently throughout the game, and Penn State couldn't handle it. 
at all. They the offensive line couldn't handle it. The running backs staying in to protect couldn't handle it. Um, there was one moment I saw rewatching the game where Pitt blitz two. The one offensive lineman picked up the one guy, and then a safety was just coming in. Or is a linebacker? I don't remember. I think it might have been a linebacker was just coming in full head of steam. And Journey Brown's there in the hole and completely whiffs on the block and falls <laughs> over and like doesn't even touch him. Um, but just Penn State's pass protection in that game was terrible. And instead of changing their game plan, instead of saying we found a weakness in them hitting them down the field or whatever Penn State saw preparing for that game where we can hit them on explosive plays, instead of changing that, they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it, and it didn't work. And I don't really blame Sean Clifford for that game. Yes, he missed some throws, but it's hard for him to get comfortable and get in that game when every time he drops back to pass, he's getting hit, he's getting hurried, there's a hand in his throwing lane. He did not have very many clear throwing lanes throughout that whole game. And I don't care how experienced of a quarterback you are, that like you're not going to play good when that happens. So I don't think that one was more. I think that was, was on less on him. Yep. Um, but they also need to get a running game going. Yeah. Because if they can't do that, they're going to be in trouble in some of those big, big games throughout the year. Now, I think this whole thing just goes back to coaching. Um, because I'm glad you brought up the running game because that's something I was going to ask you next is, um, you know, because I definitely have an opinion on this, but I want you to go first. Um, what do you think of the running back rotation? Um, in theory, the running back rotation's a great idea. You have four capable guys. Um, Devin Ford's still hanging on there. I think, just me personally, think that he will end up being redshirted this year. I think that it'll turn into a three-man rotation as this year goes on. Maybe not. I could be completely wrong here. But just in my head, they don't need four yeah. running backs to rotate. That's a little too many. That's too much. Um, right now, it's the Journey Brown and Noah Kane show. Um, they have by far been the best two backs. I think by game 12, Noah Kane will be the best running back in the Penn State backfield. Nothing against Journey Brown. Great kid, hard worker. Amazing story there as well. But he's had... He's not just the athlete the same that Noah Kane is. When you have an athlete like that, I think Noah Kane will eventually take him over. But those two, in my mind, apparently not James Franklin's mind, but in my mind, those two have separated themselves from Ricky Slade and Devin Ford. But they're still listed as a four-man or, yeah. or, or, or. So I don't know, is that something just all year? It's just going to be four or, or, or? But in my head, those two guys have separated themselves, so they should be the ones getting the majority of the snaps. And I will mention Noah Kane later here, but I want to hear what you think of it first. Well, I agree a lot with what you said, and I do think that Journey Brown and Noah Kane have definitely separated themselves as the two best. I also think this really has to end. Like, it just has to stop. Um, Because is it a transfer portal thing? That's what comes to my mind, is the full running back system, They're, in my opinion, they're using it to keep all four guys on campus because they're afraid... Well, you know, we have two incredible running back talents in Devin Ford and Noah Kane. And if we give one of them the nod and don't play the other one, the other one's going to put their name in the transfer portal. And that's not what they want. Um, I don't see the redshirt thing happening just because um, they're getting ready to bring in two more four-star running backs next year. They're creating a factory here. Um, And it's a good problem to have, don't get me wrong. It's a very good problem to have when it's managed correctly because you still have to let these guys get in a rhythm. There's no rhythm here, and that's the issue. When you have four running backs combining for 10 carries in a game, 
um, with each one getting less than you know four, mm -hmm. there's an issue there. Um, you got to go play the hot hand, and that's why I don't like the. That's why I don't necessarily like the the rotation breakdown where, um, you know, James Franklin has said that. All right, before the game, the week prior, we make the list and say, okay, well, the first drive is Journeys, and then the second drive is Ricky's, and the third drive is Devon's, and the fourth drive is Noah, and then we'll just rotate through, um, kind of in that order, or whatever order they come up with. That doesn't work, because what happens when somebody fumbles the ball? We haven't seen Ricky play much. Is he? I don't know if he's hurt, what's going on, but Ricky just has not been a factor in this Penn State team all year. The, big, the second biggest problem I had with the pit game was these running backs, and it all circles back to coaching for me, because... The only drive Penn State sustained all game long was when you had Noah Kane in the backfield. He punched it down Pitt's throat over and over again. Just five yards, six yards, nine yards, five yards, just falling forward, doing exactly what they brought him here to do. He was recruited here to be the kind of running back Penn State hasn't had in a long time where you give him the ball, no matter what happens, he gets three yards, no matter what. He drives you all the way down the field against Pittsburgh, scores the winning touchdown, mm -hmm. and then on that little four-minute drive to end the game, you need you need one first down. You need two first downs to close the game out, not give Pitt a chance to throw Hail Marys into the end zone, which they very well could have gotten and taken that game to overtime. They make the kick. They win the game. Um, he's not on the field. The guy who's getting seven yards of carry is not on the field. You put Journey Brown in instead, he gets two yards of carry, and you punt the ball away. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to get into with the Noah Kane. That's where the running back rotation is a problem. If you go into it saying, all right, Journey's going to get this drive, Noah Kane's going to get this drive, whatever, you go down through. But then if Journey Brown goes out there on that second drive and he has a 70-yard run and blows somebody up and keeps going, he better be in the next drive. Yeah. Like, that's when you throw the rotation away. Yep. Right now, they have the rotation, and they are sticking to the rotation. No matter what happens out there, this is the rotation, this is what we're doing. And I think that needs to stop. Get rid of it. Throw it away. If mm. Noah Kane goes out there, and he switched the whole momentum in that game. If he does that, throw the rotation away. Yeah. He should be in the backfield the rest of the game. Maybe not the rest of the game, but he needs to be out there at least the next drive. He didn't. He didn't come out, and like I, I don't know, why not? Like no one asked Franklin why not. I mean the answer would have been it's our rotation. I think that's right. why. But why wouldn't? I, I just don't understand that. Yeah, and and you're gonna get that. You're gonna get another chance to see that this Friday, when if they stick to that rotation, there's a chance that Maryland hangs around in this ball game long enough that it doesn't come out in Penn State's favor. You have to play the hot hand. Um, or eventually it's going to sting you. And when you get to playing these better opponents, you better have it figured out by the time you go to Iowa at night in a game that now we see today is rumored to be a 7 o'clock kick. You know what happened last time there when you had Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley in the backfield. It took a last-minute throw from Trace to get out of that place alive. Now you're going to go in there with an inexperienced quarterback and you're still going to have this four-man rotation going at running back? It's not going to work. You have to have somebody back there that you trust enough and... To, to just make the play, hit the hole, make the play. Um, if the transfer portal is what you're afraid of, that's just a part of college football well, now. I but. hate to tell them, but if Ricky Slade has 12 carries in the first three games, he won't be here anyway. He's yeah. going to enter the transfer portal whether there's an or next to his name anyway. Yeah. And I, that's not me saying I know something. I'm just saying, like, 
in general, that's the way college football is today. You can't be worried about that. You have to play your best guys, give the best chance to win. Whatever's working, stick with it. And if things happen in the transfer portal, things happen in the transfer portal. That's that's just the way college football is now. You need to give yourself the best chance every single play, every single drive to win. And I think that rotation's taking back from that. But we're going to go on a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. We'll close out Pitt, and then we'll start to preview Penn State's game against Maryland. It's time to get your groove on. The Ben and Ben Show is back now on Com Radio. Welcome back into the Ben and Ben Show. I'm Ben Free, joined as always with Ben Jenkins. And Ben, there's one more thing we have to talk about with Pitt Penn State. That game two weeks ago. Maybe the best part. It really was the best part. The Pat Narduzzi call on fourth and goal. Pitt, fantastic drive. A fourth and they face a fourth and short earlier in the drive. Come up with an absolutely awesome play call. Incredible call. It, awesome play call. It was a little they low to the line, no receivers wide. Everything was there. Going to pound it right up the middle. That's pit football. Love Little it. play action. Tight end pops out in the seam. They hit him. If the tight end was faster, that was a touchdown there. Yep. Love Penn that State play. did not even think that that play was going to happen. But they have that, and then later they have an incredible catch. They get them right to the one yard line. First and goal for Pitt. Down by seven. Five minutes left in the game. There it is. The upset is going to. Ha- they're going to tie the game. The potential upset could happen. This one's going to be a fun ending. First down, they get stopped. Second down, they run a Kenny Pickett runs a read option, which that's an interesting play call that hasn't gotten talked about. Yeah. Um, third down, Cam Brown just explodes through the line and almost kills Kenny Pickett, and it ends up with an incomplete pass. And on that play, they had a wide open running back in the end zone. Yeah. It was an easy touchdown pass. Then fourth and goal comes up from the one. And Pat Narduzzi trots out the field goal unit, down by seven. With there was about four minutes left at that point. Oh no! And then the kicker misses the field goal. Yep. Who also he is the same kicker who made four fifty-plus yard field goals last season. So like to miss that, that is like he is thinking guaranteed three points yeah. there. But what do three points help in that situation? Yeah. And also to be fair to the kicker. Um, a 19-yard field goal from the left hash it's not easy. isn't a great angle. No, it's not easy. That's kind of setting him it's up for failure. It's almost too close. Yeah, thing. they should have taken a false start and given him five more yards to work with. But, yeah, um, Pat Narduzzi's comments after the game, I laughed for four days straight. Um, the fact that when he was asked why he did that, he said, you know, well, you need two scores anyway. Yeah, but you're on the one-yard line. But you don't need well, you need two scores to win, but you don't need two scores to tie. Like. Also, there's this crazy play called a two-point conversion um, you went with. where you could have definitely done that too and, and taken the lead on that one. But here's the thing is, um, when you think back to that drive like you just told us about, look how aggressive Pitt was on that drive, and look how aggressive Pat Narduzzi claims himself to be. Um, Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator at Pitt, if he made that play call in fourth and one, and then Pat Narduzzi took the the you know play sheet out of his hands for the second fourth down play on the one yard line, I'd be furious. I'd be absolutely furious because there's no way that you dial up that tight end little seam route um, in that conversion on fourth down and one at you know midfield wherever yeah. they were. There's no way you do that, and then later in the drive try to kick a field goal from the one yard line. I mean, if they didn't get that first down at 
midfield when they went for it. I mean, that's game over. Yeah. With five minutes left, Penn State with the ball at midfield, huge momentum. So, I mean, that's game over. And to me, that's the most earth-shattering thing about this is you made a really gutsy call to do that, especially when your defense has been playing well. You could have easily punted the ball yeah. away there, trusted your defense, and, and gone on from there. Instead, you took the gutsy call to go for it on fourth down there at midfield. But then when you get to the one-yard line, you take the insanely conservative route and kick a field goal. Like, it's just, I don't understand. Something there doesn't doesn't line up to me. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. That that's There isn't much to comment on it because, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the thought process, I mean, I know what the thought process was. We kick a field goal, and then our defense gets a stop, we get the ball back, yep. and then we score a touchdown and win. It just doesn't make sense, though, because you need a touchdown no matter what. So you might as well try to get the touchdown. It's not like Pitt dominated on offense all day they couldn't run the ball at all mm-hmm. um a lot of their catches that they made the deep balls were 50 50 balls that yeah. their wide receivers just made great catches and i think you do that five more times and they might make that catch one out of five times it's not like they were driving the ball down penn state's throat where yeah we can kick this field goal and just march back down and put it in like you haven't done you haven't driven the ball once all day what makes you so sure that um right here with four minutes left in the game you can just give the field goal instead of scoring the touchdown and then drive all the way back down the field. Like, it's not something you've done once today, maybe once. You might have done it in the first quarter. You drove all the way down and scored. But other than that, you hadn't had any luck on offense. So what's the thought process in saying, hey, we can kick the field goal here and then march all the way down the field in three minutes and score again? Like, I just it doesn't make sense to me. What I will say, that last drive, they got the ball back. They had time. Yeah, they did. And they got down to probably the Penn State 30, 40. That's not quite field goal range, but they were right on the edge of it there in that final minute. So if they went for it on fourth down, got a touchdown there, they could have trotted out the field goal unit for the win. Especially as since time he's expired. good from 50. And it was a tie game, so if you miss it, you miss it. So I, it was just the wrong call. Um, and this week, Pat Narduzzi made the right call, and they ran a Philly special and beat UCF at home. So <laughs> yeah. they figured it out a week late. Um, but, yeah, I I think we'll just leave it at that. I, it was a, it was the wrong call. I just hope for Pat Narduzzi's sake that that wasn't a play that they had last week, like the Philly special. <laughs> they had it in I the just back pocket. I just hope for his sake that it never comes out anywhere in Pitt media that he had the Philly special play lined up and could have used it at Penn State and chose not to. Um, can you imagine what the fans, what the student section would have been like if the Philly special was the play? That beat well, that a, Penn State beat Pitt I with. I saw like, a tweet about that. It was like there would have been so many conflicted fans if Pitt ran a Philly special to like beat Penn State. Like there have been so many fans because they've been like, no, but yes, but like, oh man. But how are they still working? Is the real question. Yeah. Why how does that play still work? Yeah. Why can't defenses cover that? Because every time it's run, it pretty much works. And I mean, other than when Tom Brady dropped it in the Super Bowl, but <laughs> <laughs> like. It, it continuously works, and it's not that hard of a. I mean, I think if you're a defense now, and it's like a fourth and short like that, and you got to be having in your head like this is something that they're going to run. Like I, like it's at the point now where it's run so often, so many big moments that you have to say, let's throw a linebacker on a spy on the quarterback, yeah. and if he comes across the line of scrimmage, just hit him. Like, yeah, just knock him. Like yeah. Like I, it, I, I'm just baffled at how those plays still work. But anyway. Now that we've spent 34 minutes talking about the Pitt Panthers <laughs> in a game that happened a week ago. Yep. We'll talk about the game that's happening this Friday. Penn State against Maryland. The Nittany Lions taking the drive down to the University of Maryland 
in what is going to be a fun atmosphere for that game. I think so. It yeah. is going to be a blackout there. Uh, Maryland has special, well, they have special uniforms every week, but they're like a special all-black uniforms. They look really, really good. Not a whole lot of flag going on, which I'm a fan of. Not a big fan of the Maryland flag. I think it's very overused. Anyway, <laughs> um, we're a little off top here. Old Bay will come up at some point during this. But Maryland's a team that the first two weeks had the highest scoring offense in the country. I believe it was 71 points average in their first two games. Routed Howard, destroyed a then-ranked Syracuse. And then they went to Philly to play Temple, and it all went wrong. Um, they got stopped on the goal line in the fourth quarter and lost to Temple. Well, it's the same Temple team who lost to Buffalo this week. Yeah. Um, and then they had a bye week just like Penn State did last week and heading into this matchup where they have, I believe, I saw a tweet, it was they have 10,000 student tickets, and they do like a system each game where you put in if you want them. Yeah. I think they've had, like, this was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they had, like, 13,000 ticket requests yep, the, for this game against Penn State. The most ticket requests yeah, in the history of Maryland football, yeah. So they are excited for this game. Classes are canceled on Friday at Maryland. This is a huge, huge game for the program, for everything that's going on with that program, especially. It's a new era there. Mm-hmm. This game, they're redoing the whole football facility. Um, that was under construction when I was down at their campus this summer. It's going to look really, really cool. You know, like football facilities up on a hill, and it's going to like overlook their stadium. It's really, really cool. This is a serious, serious game for them. They want this win. And here comes Penn State, inexperienced, looking shaky. And I think who knows what's going to happen in this game. We could get the Maryland that plays Temple, and Penn State could go out and win by 50. We could get a Maryland team that absolutely destroyed Syracuse, and they beat Penn State, or we could have a Maryland team that plays well, but they're just not as good as we think they are, or Penn State's better. There's going to be a lot of questions answered from this Friday game. Yeah, I, I definitely think so, and, and I'm the same way. I have no idea what to expect. This game is such a toss-up to me because um, it kind of reminds me of high school football almost. It's played on a Friday night, and the only thing that matters is who gets off the bus. Yeah. That's, that's what matters. Um, put talent aside, the only thing that's going to matter Friday night is what team gets off the bus and what team's ready to play. Um, I think the student factor is huge here. The fact that Maryland had the biggest student ticket request in the history of Maryland football, the fact that they're bringing in portable bleachers to try and accommodate more of those students, this is, like you said, this is a huge deal for them. Um, And if Penn State plays flat like they've played their first three games of the year, I think that's one of the biggest problems with Penn State is they don't play like they're motivated Mm -hmm. at all. They're just out there going through the motions, all the talent in the world. Well, I noticed that that's something... It's harder to see on TV, but if you're ever at games or try to pay attention to it on TV, I notice it's been a trend the last couple of years. Their sideline is never like hype or going crazy or excited. Yeah. It's always very, and like there's peaks, there's valley. Like you go up and down in football, and so sometimes it's not bad to be level-headed, but they're not jumping. Like I was one point during the pick game where they were going nuts on the sideline, jumping up and down, and Penn State was just kind of standing there, yeah. just like staring at them. It's like. Uh, you don't see that same energy and stuff that you see from other places. And I know that part of that's by design. You don't want to go crazy and then all of a sudden you know, like lose focus of the game and everything. But look for that in this game to see if, how motivated they are for this game because Maryland is going to show up and they're going to be ready for this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing with Maryland, we were talking about this outside the studio before we came in um, while they were working on some of those technical difficulties that we're having. But um, I don't really see that big of a talent difference between Maryland and Pitt, um, I think, I mean, I haven't done a ton of research, but I just think on paper you look at 
Um, the things that Maryland is struggling with, you look at the things that Pitt was struggling with, I think they're pretty close to the same. The one difference here, and this is the, the big difference for me, is Maryland has so many playmakers. Yeah. Um, that offense is so fast. It's built on speed. And so if there are issues with Penn State's defense, which we know there are, um, it's been evident giving up 13 points to Buffalo and the struggles against against Pitt, especially in the first half, there have been huge problems with Penn State's defense. Maryland will find those problems like Pitt couldn't do, like Buffalo couldn't do. The speed will find those issues and it will attack them. So the Penn State secondary hasn't really been my favorite thing in the world so far this year. If they're struggling, Maryland will let the whole world know that they're struggling because I guarantee every AP voter Every college football fan on Friday night that's not at a high school game will be watching yes. this contest, and everybody will know pretty quickly whether Penn State's got their stuff under control or if they've got big problems on defense. Yeah, Maryland's offense has been averaging 277 rush yards per game so far, and it, it, you have to take everything with a grain of salt because it was Howard, a Syracuse team that was projected to be a lot better than they actually are, and then yeah. a loss against Temple. So I, you do have to take everything... A little bit of a grain of salt here about the numbers and stuff. But Anthony McFarland is their running back. He looks absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I believe he only has 225 rush yards, but he has five touchdowns, and he's done that on only 46 carries. He didn't play most of the Howard game because of that. And I think it all starts with the Maryland rushing attack. If Penn State can slow that down, that's the first step. Their second step then is they have to get pressure on Josh Jackson, their quarterback, who was transferred in from Virginia Tech, which at this point is looking like he's one of the transfer portals of the wins of the year yeah. for Maryland. He's been really good so far. He was not great against Temple, but it's because he didn't have a lot of time to throw the ball. And speaking of things of the year, Michael Loxley is definitely looking like the new hire of the year. Yeah, he so far. He has done so good so far with Maryland. Yeah, they haven't hit Big Ten play, and they haven't hit that, but just he was the right hire in that situation. It was a very touchy subject there with Maryland. They needed a good hire to get in there for the program's sake. And I'm talking big picture, like 10, 15 years. They needed a good hire there, and I think they made that good hire. Um, So Maryland's offense, you said it. They're built on speed. They're fast. They have playmakers. They have it outside of wide receiver. They have it at running back. They have Josh Jackson, who's a capable quarterback. He's not mobile at all. Um, I mean, that's not to say every quarterback at this day and age can scramble a little bit here and there, but he's not going to be a running threat. Um, they're not going to run zone reads with him every single play all the all game. But the one thing that hasn't been talked about with this Maryland team, I mean, their offensive line's a struggle. That's one area where they're not the best. But an area that no one's really talking about is their defense. Their defense has been good. They've only allowed 13.3 points per game. That's 17th in the country. And... They've only given up 73 rushing yards per game so far the first part of the year. So like their defense has been solid, and their offense has playmakers. This is a game that Penn State could – I could see them very easily losing if they come out bad. Yeah, Penn State needs better offensive line play, and, and we talked about it with Pitt you know, pretty, pretty in-depth. But, but that offensive line just has to be better because um, you know, the fact that Maryland does have a pretty decent defense, if Sean Clifford is – you know, acting the same way. If he can't get his feet set, if he can't get comfortable in the pocket, he can't step up in the pocket, it's going to be such a long night for Penn State um, because this defense can't keep bailing them out. It's been okay well, so far. They've been having to bail them out against Buffalo and Pitt. Exactly. This can't happen in Big Ten play. Um, you know, you might be able to survive through Friday, 
Um, if you get some big spark plays here and there, you might be able to make it through okay. But this is kind of the end of the road for that. And and you have to learn things and you have to see improvement here um, because if you want to get out of Maryland alive, you know, you got to show that improvement. But it gets worse from here. It gets way worse when you go to Iowa. It, that's That is such a tall measuring stick to me, and I don't want to look ahead to that very much because you still have to beat Maryland. Which, I may have Purdue at home, but Purdue hasn't been that Yeah, great. they've they've had a tough tough year but um i think everything relies on that iowa game but if you're not showing any improvement from buffalo to that iowa game and this is the biggest measuring stick right here then you're in so much trouble when that time comes yeah i am really really excited for this game i i can't wait we're gonna learn a lot there is going to be so much learn for both teams and i i just can't wait i'm so excited for this game to happen ben do you want to throw a prediction out there or no I I don't I I haven't even thought of it. Um, I think I saw today where Penn State's a seven point favorite. Yeah. Um, it's hovering around that like seven eight point range. I'm I'm just gonna say this. I would never, ever, ever in a million years put any money on Penn State a seven point favorite. No, I would n- I would um, not touch this game. It's just it. You can't. It could be. Penn State could win by 60 like they've done within the last three years and at Maryland. And they very well could. I mean, Maryland could be not good at all. I'm sorry. I apologize for the listeners. I've shouldered the mic like three times <laughs> during this. But Maryland could be really bad. Like, I don't I don't know. And conversely, Penn State, there's a very real chance that Penn State it's is bad. Yeah, like, I, you don't know anything at this point in the season. And we're finally starting to get into conference play. We're going to learn things. We yeah. learned a lot about Michigan last week. Yes, we did. I think this is a week where we learn a lot about Penn State. Yeah, and part of me is worried because I see a lot of Michigan in this Penn State team. I don't see the fumbles um, nearly as much. I don't see the fumbles. I don't even necessarily see the defensive problems as much um, because I think that front seven for Penn State defensively is very strong. That's a mm-hmm. that's yeah. a that front seven good. can compete with anybody in the country. Secondary scares me, but that front seven. That's what I think separates them from from Michigan right now and also the ball handling thing. But, yeah, if we don't see – and this is all stuff that we're kind of regurgitating because it's things that we talked about with Pitt because this is – you didn't learn anything from Pitt other than you should be concerned. Um, That's kind of the only takeaway I took away from Pitt. So the same things that you were worried about in that game have to get fixed here. The offensive line has to get fixed. Maybe James Franklin's really worried about pressure on the quarterback. I don't think it's that big of a deal quite yet. Um, he's really worried about that, though, so we'll throw that in there. And then the running back rotation, thats those are the things that have to get fixed. Um, you can't have that running back rotation this week. I, you just can't. You can't have it. And it's going to be there. But anyway, I'm not going to throw out a prediction. I have to give an official one. With the I'm excited to see that. Week. And honestly, I have no clue what I'm going to do yet. We'll see. We'll see what happens when the time comes around. I haven't really thought about it enough. But let's talk about the rest of college football last week really quick. There's some quick hitters to go through here. Michigan's Michigan's bad. Yeah, Michigan's bad. Um, that Army game was not a fluke. No. I think Army's just as good as Michigan is. Yep. They looked terrible. Terrible. I don't know if terrible is the right word against Wisconsin. They weren't ready to play. No, they. it was bad. For a game of that scale with number 11 Michigan, number 13 Wisconsin coming into Camp Randall, all the, the hype of Fox's big noon kickoff, you know, all of the things surrounding that game, Michigan came out just like Penn State has. They were not ready to play that game at all. They weren't ready for anything. And 
Wisconsin, this is the 150th year of college football. Wisconsin's been playing the exact same football for 150 <laughs> They did nothing different on defense than anything Wisconsin, Michigan, either of the teams. This is the same that Wisconsin's always been, um, and Michigan couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I, yeah, I, they, they just weren't ready to play. I, they looked bad in every facet of the game. There was just nothing really that redeemed them in that game. And before they collected themselves, it was over, and they were out of that game. So I'm curious to see how Michigan responds to that because this could be a game where – this team quits on the season or this could be a game where they use it for motivation. They continue to fight all year, but it very well could be a game that they quit on the season. After. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if I want to mention, but Harbaugh is his job possibly up on the hot seat. Like, yeah, I, I, I saw a stat on Twitter and I don't have it right in front of me, but his records against ranked opponents and so it's not good mm. at all. I mean, at some point, you have to start getting the job done, especially at Michigan. That program demands a lot. And I know he's done a lot for that program, but it gets to a point where you're not getting results. That Do you have to make a change there? Yeah, and I, I saw an interesting stat. We do have to move on from this game, but um, I saw an interesting stat that Fox actually had before the game on Saturday, and I also don't have it in front of me, so it might not be 100% accurate, but it was something like Michigan in their ranked road games are like 0-17 going into that game for their last, so 0-18 now for their last 18 games. Michigan hasn't won a game on the road against a ranked team since, I want to say, 2006. Oof. For Michigan. This is one of the greatest programs in college football. And so I don't know if the issue is Harbaugh. I don't know if it's a bigger issue. I think in terms of this year, you're going to start to see whispers, and I heard this somewhere on a podcast that I was listening to this morning, but... I think you're going to start to hear whispers about what's going on there. Are the, is there an issue between Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis and Don Brown? Like, what's the problem here? Because you have all the pieces um, of the puzzle. You have an up-and-coming, one of the one of the fastest-rising coaches at Penn State let go and Josh Gaddis. Um, no, I'm not upset about that. Um, you have Harbaugh, who, you know, took the 49ers to a Super Bowl, won so many Rose Bowls and did so many great things out west with Stanford coming to his alma mater, and they just can't win. Like, everybody expected Michigan to have four national championships by this yeah. time. They expected Michigan to light the, the world State. on fire. Yeah, exactly, and and they can't do that. They can't even beat Ohio State once. Um, Urban Meyer at Ohio State never lost a game to Michigan. He Harbaugh never beat him. Um, the only time Urban Meyer ever lost to Michigan was in a bowl game, I think, when he was at Florida or something. So um, there's just a huge problem up north there, and – it doesn't look like it's going to get fixed anytime soon, especially in this, which was supposed to be their swan song season. And this looked like the year where they could take that next step. Well, around the Big Ten, there was a lot of question marks. This looked like the year where they didn't have as many question marks going into the season, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden this could have been their year to take that next step. But it does not appear that way at all starting the season. We'll move on. Georgia beat Notre Dame. It was a close game. I didn't watch the whole thing, um, but from what I heard, it was a really good game pretty much eliminates Notre Dame from the playoff talk. Yeah. And then my we'll talk about Auburn beat Texas A&M as well, and that's going to bring to my point of the SEC has teams ranked 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 7th, and ninth in the AP poll. That's half the top 10 yeah. SEC teams. That's, that's really interesting to me because I don't know as if the SEC is really that great. Like, if you take um, 
Alabama, LSU, and Georgia off the top of the pile. I'm not afraid to play any of those other teams. I'm not afraid to play Florida on a third-string quarterback. I'm not afraid to play Auburn necessarily with a true freshman quarterback. They played well. They did play. Um, but I don't think they're that scary. I don't think they're – well, this year they might be a top-ten team. Um, I don't know how deep college football is this year. But um, maybe it's just because they're playing they're, – we've learned things about them now um, that you can't say about most of the rest of the country like we talked about. We don't know anything about Penn State. Um, we're finally starting to learn things. We're learning things about these SEC schools now that conference play has started. Mm-hmm. Um, Alabama's still playing FCS schools, it seems yeah. like. But everybody else, you know, things have started. And so, yeah, we're learning things about them, and the wins look impressive. But you can't name me the star- the starting quarterback now at Florida. You can't name me the starting quarterback at Tennessee, at Texas. Well, Kellen Mott at Texas A&M. But, I mean, there's just the stars aren't there so you have to think eventually the SEC is going to get um, they're going to get knocked back a peg or two. You would think. Well, I think right now, I mean, some of it will take care of itself because you have Alabama, Georgia, LSU right now is the three teams that are leading the way in the SEC. That will all take care of itself. Alabama and LSU play, and then they'll play Georgia in the SEC championship game. Mm-hmm. So that will all work itself out, but it just really looks like it's – one of those teams in Clemson as the two best teams in college football this year. And it looks like there's a significant gap then. Oh, yeah. Between that and the rest of the country. Even between George, or Clemson, Alabama, and the rest of the country. No, there's no doubt. There's um, a gap there. But I think the rest of the SEC, if you put them in the Big Ten. Yeah, the Ten, bottom half of the SEC is really bad this year. And even the middle. Like, if you take the middle of the SEC, that Florida, um, Auburn, you know, maybe Mississippi State, if Tommy Stevens was healthy, if you take the middle of the SEC and you put them in the Big Ten East, I don't know as if I'm that afraid of them. I, I think that it's it's comparable. Um, you know, if Penn State does improve a little bit, I think they're right there with them. Even looking at bowl projections really far out because that's the smartest thing to do right now in September. Um, you look at right now the projections are Penn State and Auburn in the Outback Bowl. That doesn't really concern me that much. I mean, Bo Nix is a true freshman quarterback. He's looked good so far. But eventually he's going to, you know, take a little dip down because that's what all true freshmen do. Um, So I I don't see how any of these teams are really that scary other than those top three. All right, now we're going to move on because we are running out of time. Um, We mentioned Pitt beating UCF earlier on the Philly special. That was pretty crazy. They Mm -hmm. looked like. I mean, they were destroying them in the first half. UCF came out, immediately took the lead in the second half. And when I say, like, immediately, like, they were up. They erased a 21-point deficit like that. They just, and then they were in the lead, and then Pitt came back. And it, it was a pretty cool game, pretty fun game to watch. But they snapped the UCF winning streak. So no national championship this year for nope, UCF. Not this year. Well, maybe they'll still claim it. Who knows? But we'll go into a little segment here. What was your happiest sports moment of the week, Ben? Well, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you can see my hat. Um, and, and this is going to hurt you, Furry, because I know you're also residing there in the NL East. Yeah, I've given up on the Mets a For while ago. back-to-back years, it's been so long since back-to-back years have happened, but the Braves are 2019 NL East champions. They clinched um, over the weekend, Friday night they clinched. Um, so really great to see that. I always love that, of course. Um, my favorite thing ever, by the way, are baseball celebrations after they've clinched something. 
um, what happens in the locker room, the champagne, and wearing the goggles. It's just the coolest sight ever. Um, and, and for this, this Atlanta team, they nobody picked them this year. For some reason, not one person picked them in the media um, to win the East. They come in, they, they kick the door down, they win it by 10 games. Um, so excited for the playoffs to start. I do think they can compete in the playoffs. We'll talk about this more in another episode. We don't have that much time left, but really excited for what the Braves are doing right now. This team is built to last, and they're built to win for plenty of years to come. I'm going over to England because I watch soccer now. Um, <laughs> Leicester City, they're the team I picked because I didn't want to be like everyone else and pick a team that actually wins. And they're winning this year. It is They assembled quite the team over the offseason. There's a lot of build-up, a lot of hype for this year. And so far they're delivering. They had a 2-1 to comeback win against Spurs, which is one of the big teams over there in England. They're sitting at third right now. I mean, it's only after six games. But so far they've made me really happy because all of my American sports teams are bad. So <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to watch a team that wins every once in a while. Now, speaking of bad teams that we root for, Ben, sports disappointment this week. Uh, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, and there's a reason. Um, both of our takes, I'm going to let the cat out of the batter bag, are both in the NFL. Maybe it's the reason that we shouldn't watch the NFL. Maybe that's just something's trying to tell us that. Um, basically, the Steelers, maybe they should be with Pitt in the ACC. Uh, maybe they should go to the American Athletic Conference because Pitt, um, sorry, the Steelers are just so bad they're so bad um you can't blame mason rudolph he played okay but just as a whole the team is just a dumpster fire i don't know what we're doing i don't know they're on three for the first time and i'm not used to this as a steelers fan i don't know what they're doing but it's bad it's bad it's bad yeah it's a rough life um i'm (laughs) thinking about picking a new team that's how bad it is eventually you just get used to it yeah my disappointments the jets uh i still think it's one of the biggest mistakes I made in my life was <laughs> deciding to root for the Jets when I was like three or four. My parents should have told me not to. Um, but they have one offensive touchdown in three weeks. They The Patriots destroyed them. Then they got a pick six and returned a muffed punt for a touchdown and forced Brady back into the game at the end of it. But one offensive touchdown in three weeks. Their head coach is an offensive guru that they hired. Sam Darnold has mono. He's still out. I mean... I, uh, it's just I don't understand anymore. Like I, it, I'm not even surprised as a Jets fan. They've been so bad. I think the game of the year at this point is going to be the Jets and the Dolphins when they meet twice, oh, no. because both those teams are trying to be the worst teams in the league, and that's going to be something when they meet. But yeah, the Jets have been they've been bad and. It's not going to get any better. They do have a bye week this week, and like they're not practicing. They're like watching film and letting the bodies heal. I, I don't know. That's why they make college football. <laughs> that is why they make college football, and we're gonna end it on the happy note of college football, and yep. just let you think about that as we move through the week and go throughout all of our daily activities. It's a Monday. Thanks for listening to the Ben and Ben Show. Ben, you want to end it on anything? We'll see you guys next week. Hopefully we're going to get back on a normal schedule now. Hopefully the sicknesses are gone. The Penguins and Sabres are gone. Yeah, I don't think so. the Penguins and Sabres are coming back again this year. So we're hopefully on this Monday schedule from here to come. So thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next Monday. And always remember, two Bens are better than one.